somebody had printed up for us. And um, we're still locked down at the jail. Hopefully, uh, I mean, I can't do my Bible studies and chapel services yet, but uh, hopefully it'll be soon. We can go into the units and do Bible studies in chapels. Uh, Leon's been doing a great, where's Leon? Leon here today? Anyway, he's been doing a great job and uh, real, a real, real blessing, and I can't uh, thank you enough for sending him. So uh, anyway, um, on a personal note, you may have noticed I uh, lost a little weight. Uh, what happened was um, I developed this bloating problem, oh, I don't know, a little over a year ago. I don't know what it is. Uh, I've done every test in the world. We went to the doctor. You know, I would have to drink some water. I'd feel like I ate two turkeys. If I had a half a sandwich, again, my stomach would blow up. And I, and I didn't know what was happening. It was like your food wasn't digesting. And so I went to the doctor, and um, he, we did a CT scan, no cancer. We did a microscope down the throat, nothing. We did a microscope up the back door, nothing. We did a, uh, an ultrasound, nothing. We did an MRI. Okay, we found a little gallstone, but that's not it. So I was like, oh, man. And so she, the GI uh, thinks it's probably just gas. Just take gas sex. Well, I did that, but nothing happens. It still get bloated. So the only relief I find is walking. You know, I go for a walk, and I will let out two or three burps, and then I'll feel great. And so I have to do this two, three times a day for the last year and almost a half. And I drop like 30 pounds. So all that to say, out of something bad something good happened. Uh, I also noticed at the jail that even though we were locked down and we couldn't do our Bible studies and chapels services, there was a lot of downtime, you know, nothing, really nothing going on. You're in the office preparing messages, visiting some inmates one-on-one and so forth. And uh, during this downtime, I noticed a lot of the officers would be hanging in the hallways. Again, they're, they're bored, stiff, no, there's no movement. So they'll, you know, kind of look around, no one's there. They'll come in my office, close the door and Start sharing some dirty laundry, you know, uh, I got a drinking problem, uh, my wife's leaving me maybe, uh, you know, and this and that. And, and before you know it, we're sitting down, of course, we turn the attention to God, and before you know it, they're accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're going to church, they're getting baptized, and we've seen probably over the last year and a half, maybe 30 or so officers come to the Lord, which is amazing, because I've told you many times, there's such a tough nut to crack you know, they're, they honestly believe that they're a good person. You know, Lauren might have thought he was a good person for a long time and, <laughs> until God opened his eyes. But when I try to talk to them about God, again, they look at me and they point to the back, chaplain, chaplain, I'm the good guy. Talk to them, you know, the murderer, the rapist, the drug dealer. And uh, they don't see this in because they measure themselves on the horizontal so they're very hard to reach. But again, over this last year and a half, we've seen a lot of them come to the Lord. They got their own Bible study. And uh, they're going to church, getting baptized, everything. So again, out of something bad, God did something good. So I was chewing on this for a while, thinking about it. I read a few uh, passages, you know, each morning. How do we begin the day? No Bible, no breakfast. All right. I was doing this, and I noticed this is all over the Bible. When something bad happens, God does something good. I mean, it's almost on every sacred page of Scripture. And so I was thinking about it, and, uh, you know, this message was born, and, and I wanted to share it with you. 
Um, let's start in the beginning. Let's start in Genesis chapter 3. And uh, notice something bad is going to happen, but God is going to do something good. So in uh, Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, you know, uh, the woman took from the tree and ate. She gave to her husband and ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves these little tiny clothes. So in verse 14, the Lord finds out about this, and um, he pronounces this judgment. But something good is in this. Verse 14, the Lord, said to the, Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field, on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, hostility, between your seed and her seed. This is interesting because in the Bible, whenever you see seed mentioned, it's always a man's seed. It's always Abraham's seed, Isaac's seed, Jacob's seed, Joseph's seed, David's seed. It's always always man's seed. Basically, if you look at the Septuagint, the Greek word is spermos, where we get the word sperm. So it's always a man's seed, but in this one instance, it is mentioned her seed. And we are talking none other than the virgin will conceive by the Holy Spirit and bring forth a child, the answer to this sin problem that has been created. Again, it's hidden in this judgment. So again, as he's speaking to the serpent, uh, serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Then to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand, and take also from the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. I don't know if you ever saw this. Probably Doug has, but there's this little cartoon of... uh, a Sunday school where the teacher's looking over the shoulder at a child drawing a picture. And it shows this car and this stick figure man with a beard and a man and a woman stick figures in the back seat and they're 
driving in this car, and she asked, what are, you, what are you doing? And she says, this is, I'm drawing a picture where God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. You know, so. It's still stuck in my brain. It's something you can't unsee, all right? Every time I read this, I think of this picture. Anyway, they realized they were naked, and it was because they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when he curses Adam, notice he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you. Um, this kind of sounds like a bad thing, but just, and, and I'm not here to really bash women or anything, but I want you to see why this is important. I want you to, you don't have to turn here, but I'll read from 1 Timothy 2.14, where Paul gives a little more insight on this. And he talks about, you know, women remaining silent in the church and so forth. Adam first created, then Eve. And, and then he says this, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into the transgression. You know, it's true, the woman was deceived by the serpent. But it is also true, Adam was not. He wasn't deceived. He openly, in the face of God, sinned by eating of the fruit. It says it right there, he was not deceived. So cursed was the ground because of this. And again, it sounds, you know, pretty pretty harsh and everything, but God, again, is going to provide a way and bring something good out of this. And again, this is the first reference we see way back when, in the beginning, about the answer to our sin problem that was created through his son, Jesus. Again, out of something bad, God is going to do something good. Now, Again, I, this is all over the Bible. As I was thinking about this, uh, all these verses came to mind, these passages. I wrote them down. They're too numerous to, to give you all of them. I'm just going to give you a few to whet your appetite so you can chew on it, think about it, meditate on it. And when you get into the Word sometime, I want you to notice this. Wherever you go, you're going to see something bad happen, but God is going to do something good. This is important. Because as a minister and a counselor, and some of you have done this, you know, when someone gets the bad news, um, they lost their job, uh, terminal cancer, uh, whatever, something bad is going to go down, they tend to look at this problem, and it drags them down, and, and I, I'm guilty. Uh, you get depressed, you get down, you look at this problem, and the more you look at this problem, this problem just keeps mushrooming. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger until that's all you see if you allow that to happen. And what you got to do as a minister is help the person, you know, step back and see the bigger picture and remember God. Can I get an amen? Because, again, even though this is something bad, God is still going to do something good. And if you're in the Bible, again, no Bible, no breakfast, you will be reminded of this over and over and over again when, God does, when something bad happens, God is not far away. Remember, he don't sleep. You know, he wasn't taking nappy pool when Adam and Eve ate and woke up and said, what, what happened? Are you kidding me? Uh, no. He never sleeps or slumber. He knows. Not some things or most things, but all things. Amen? And if we keep our eyes on him, 
It'll be a lot easier when you remember God is going to deliver. God is going to come through. So let me give you a few passages just to think about here. If you remember Joseph in Genesis, chapters 37 through to the end of the book there, 50, uh, something bad happens. Again, Joseph is the favorite son, given the coat of many colors, and he brings food out to his brothers, and they beat him up, throw him into a pit, and they want to kill him. And Reuben says, no, no, we, we can't do that. And Judas, of all people, a guy named Judah, says, hey, wait a minute, there's a caravan going. Let's sell him as a slave. That is interesting. Sells his brother for the price of a slave back then, 20 pieces of silver. Sound familiar? Another guy named Judas sells Jesus for a price of a slave. It was 30 pieces in the New Testament, but, you know, he spares him, and what happens? He is, becomes a slave in the, with the Egyptians. And so what happens is he becomes servant to Potiphar, and uh, he's basically found favor in his sight and in charge of everything, running, running his house and everything, taking care of everything. And he, as a result, God is blessing him. And you know what happens. Part of his wife has eyes for Joseph and uh, tries to um, seduce him. And he runs out of the house naked. And she accuses him of rape. And he gets thrown in jail. And he's there for a while. Again, this is something bad. But God is going to do something good. You remember the, uh, I want to say the baker and the candlestick maker and whatever, but it's <laughs> the wine cup bearer and the other guy there, he, they have these dreams and he interprets them. And as they're released, Joseph says, remember me, remember me. They forget. But later on when the Pharaoh has a really bad dream and no one can interpret it, the cup bearer remembers and says, hey, hey, there was a guy in jail who interpreted the dream. And so Pharaoh calls for him. He tells him his dream, and he interprets it. Basically, there's going to be seven years of plenty, a lot of food, and then it's going to be seven years of famine. There's not going to be no food around. And Joseph tells him, your best bet is to put someone in charge and store up this food because if you don't, the, the then-known world is going to perish. And so he put Joseph in charge, and you know the story. They saved the, the, the then-known world and put Joseph in charge, and people came from all over to get the food. And as a result, his brothers come to get food, and eventually he reveals himself to him, to them, that he is Joseph, the one they sold. And you know how the story ends? He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Can I get an amen? You know, God allows evil and bad things to happen. Are you with me? He allows them to happen. For a reason. We don't always understand it, but there's always a reason. And usually, it's, some good is going to come out of it. You know, you think of the, the Twin Towers, you know, 20 years ago. Could God have stopped those planes from flying into the Twin Towers? The answer would be yes. You know, no, he, but he didn't. He allowed it to happen. As a result, you know, people started realizing and thinking about the brevity of life, the truth of the Scriptures, that we're just a vapor here today, 
gone tomorrow. Can I get an amen? No one likes to think about death. No one even likes to talk about it. But you need to. You need to. Because there's this life and the life to come. This life is short and sweet. Over like that. And so far, one out of one dies. But don't hold on too tightly to this world or this life because it is fleeting. It is passing. It is a vapor. Do not hold on to this life. It's the next one you want to think about because that one's forever. Can I get an amen? And it's either up or down. To go to hell, you don't have to do nothing. Just die. little track in the jail that I like. It's a little picture of a flame. And the question is asked, what must I do to go to hell? And you open it up and it's two blank pages. You laugh, but it's true. You were born in sin. And if you die in your sin, it's all over but the crying. You will live forever in a place you don't want to be. But God, who so loved the world, gave his only begotten son to take our beaten, shed his blood, so that whosoever, believing on him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Can I get an amen? That is the good news. Again, out of something bad, God does something good. This is all over the Bible, not just with Joseph. But how about Gideon? Not long after, Gideon is going to have to fight the Midianites, numbering 100,000. He only has 32,000 men. And God tells him, you got too many. So he says, here's what you do. Tell those that are afraid they can get up and leave. So 22,000 get up and beat feet. They're gone. He's only left with 10,000, and now he's outnumbered uh, 10 to 1. And God says, you still got too many. And he tells them to go down to the lake and let them have a drink. And some will lap like dogs, and others will, you know, look around as they're eating from drink from their hand. And he says, I want you to take these and let the rest go. And he's only 300. Now he's outnumbered 100 to 3. For every three men, there were 100 against him. And God said, that'll do. That'll do. Now this seems something bad. Can I get an amen? God's going to do something good. You know what happens. You know, God is going to cause confusion among them. And they're going to have these ideas that uh, Gideon has hired other armies. And they're going to come after him. They're going to be defeated. And they'll live in paranoia. And... Sure enough, they develop this little thing where they get the fire and the trumpets and 300 men surround this valley where all the Midianites are, and they scream, you know, and to the Lord and smash the lamp, and, and the Midianites think there are 300 armies. And in their confusion, they start slaughtering each other. I mean, there are 100,000. There are some don't even know each other, and they, they start killing each other, and they, they level the place. They kill their own people. And God delivers them. Again, out of something bad, God does something good. Similar, in Chronicles, we read about Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's a mighty man. Nothing really fears him too much. He's a pretty, pretty tough guy. But he finds out that there are three armies coming against him, Moab, the Ammonites, and Mount Seir. And he told, they're not far away, and they're coming to battle. And it says he was afraid. 
but he decided to seek the Lord. It's one thing you've got to remember. If, it's in your, if, you, if you look at this passage, underline it, highlight it. The first thing you need to do, if he's not already first and foremost on your mind, because we do no Bible, no breakfast, uh, is remember God. Bad things are going to happen. Can I get an amen? But don't forget God. We tend to, we can, but don't. That's why I got to keep reminding myself. I'm a minister, and I got to remind myself daily. You know, every morning, and my family will testify, I grab my coffee, donut, and I open the Bible, and that's how I begin each and every day before the TV, the radio, the phone rings, just me and God. And I'm reminded that whatever happens today, it will be nothing that God and I can't handle together. Amen? This is the way we need to live. We need to live like this. We need to trust him. Because when we forget him, life can get really, really hectic. And so Jehoshaphat seeks the Lord. And he's told by one of the prophets that God is going to deliver them. The battle's not his. It's the Lord's. And you're going to go up by the way of Mount Aziz, and you will find them. And they started praising God and worshiping and singing to the Lord because they believed and they trusted the Lord. And they trusted him so much that when they sent the army out, it says, Jehoshaphat, put the worship team in front. How's that for a strategy, a military strategy? Anybody serve in the armed forces? You know, how's that for a strategy? Yeah, let's put the worship team out in front and uh, we'll go to town, you know. That's what they did. And when they came over the mount, they saw everyone was leveled. Same thing. God caused confusion, and Mount Se- I mean, um, the Moabites and Ammonites uh, attacked each other, and then those turned on Mount Seir, and, and they, none had escaped. They were all taken. Again, out of something bad, God does something good. How about Daniel, chapter 3? You remember... Daniel prays three times a day from his room. The door is open to the east. And he has found favor in the sight of Nebuchadnezzar and so forth, and he's elevated to this prominent position. And the other people don't like it. They want to, get him, they want to make him look bad. They're trying to find something to bring him down. And, and they all agree there's nothing we can do unless it's something to do with his God. So they said, ah, we got this idea. We'll uh, make us a, a statue. And uh, we'll make this big, huge statue. And, and um, no, actually, this was when, uh, this is when, um, not the statue, I'm thinking of the other, in, I'm mixing up the thing. Daniel 3 is Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, all right? They're the ones that are told to worship this big image and pray to none other but this big image every day when you hear the music. And so they don't. And... It is brought to the king's attention, and he's very, very upset. And so he says, what's he calls a man? What's this I hear? You don't, you don't bow down and worship uh, the image I made. And they said, uh, no, no, we don't. He said, well, listen, I, I, you really should think about this, because I, if you don't, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And they said, uh, we really don't need to think about this, you know, because we're not going to do it. You know, we believe our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we're not worshiping your beast. That's it. 
So the king flips out. He's enraged. He heats up the furnace seven times than it is usually heated, and he commands them to be thrown in. And the people who threw them in were burned to death just by throwing them in. Shortly after, the king looks through one of the windows and sees inside the furnace four people walking around. And he says, did we not throw three people in there? How come I see four and one like the Son of Man? And he calls them out, and they don't even smell like fire, nor is even their hair singed. Out of something bad, God did something good. Can I get an amen? This is all over the Bible. I'm just picking out a few. It's everywhere. Again, a few chapters later, Daniel. Daniel has got this prominent position, and the, the other people want to drag him down because they're overpowered by this foreigner. And uh, he's, got, he's running a show, and, they, and, they, and so they, they find a way to kick him down. They know he always prays, so they said, let's make a rule that uh, everybody can only pray to the king for 30 days. And they go to the king, and they sell it. They said, oh, king, live forever. You know, you're the best. You know, we think everybody should pray to you for the next 30 days, and we've got this law. It's all drafted up. All you've got to do is sign it, and no one can, you know, get out of it. And the king says, yeah, you know, I guess I am a pretty good guy. You know what? Let's go with that. So, Everybody got to pray to me. So he does this thing, and Daniel just keeps on praying from the window. And they bring it to the king's attention. And he is sad because he really, really likes Daniel. God has given him great favor. But the people keep hounding the king, said, you know, you you signed it. You signed the law. He's got to be thrown in. He's got to be thrown in the lion's den. Come on. Come on. What are you waiting for? And the king reluctantly and sadly has Daniel thrown into the lion's den and says, Oh, Daniel, may your God deliver you. And all that night, the king couldn't sleep. He fasted. And the next day, he ran in the morning to see if Daniel was okay. And he called down, Daniel, are you all right? And he said, Oh, king, live forever. God has spared me and shut the mouths of the lions. And the king orders him to be uh, lifted up out of the den. And then he takes the bad guys and throws them in. And it says they were dead before they hit the ground. But again, out of something bad, God does something good. You with me? Give me a nod or an amen. Do you awake out there? I just want to see some movement. Ultimately, Jesus. You know, when I first read the Bible, as many of you know in jail, you know, I fell in love with Jesus. He touches the blind, see the deaf ear, the lame walk. He says words that no one ever said before. He makes sense out of life. And then we see him being led away to be crucified, where they beat him, blindfold him, sucker punch him, nail him uh, tie him to a pole where they whip him. Forty lashes save one. They beat him beyond recognition. And then they nail him to a cross to slowly bleed and die. And I'm reading this, not realizing what God's doing, but I'm like, how can they do this? How could they do this? You know, what, he hasn't done anything wrong. What are they doing? You know, I, I, I still remember my father having a hard time with this. We, uh, when I got out of jail, I went back to my mom and dad's house and get on my feet. And my dad said, would you give me a Bible? I said, yeah. He said, it has to be a large print. I said, get your large print. Get him a large print. And every night after supper, we'd read the Bible. And he looked at this passage and 
the Gospels where they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and all his friends leave him. And he was really, really shaken by this. He was really having a hard time. My dad is old school. So am I, pretty much. You never leave your friends. Never. I don't care if there's 10, 15. Believe me, I've been there, done this. You never leave your friend. So he said, how could they do this? How could they do this? And I'm just a baby Christian. I don't know all the answers. I, and, but I, I prayed and, and I said, yeah, okay, well, Dad, let's suppose we were there, me and you. Back to back, we take out these soldiers. Let's suppose that happened. Then what would have happened? Well, Jesus wouldn't have been killed. And we'd still be on our way to hell. You know, it was written beforehand that they would be scattered. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. It had to happen. He has to die. Remember Peter? When Peter gets the news, Jesus says, I got to be, I got to go to Jerusalem and, uh, you know, be beaten, whipped, spit on, killed in three days. I'll rise again. Peter said, that ain't happening. And you remember Jesus' response, right? Boy, I'm glad you're with me, Peter, man, you know. <laughs> you know yeah. Now he said, get thee behind me, Satan. You see, I came to die and neither you nor your boys are going to stop me. You see, I don't die and pay the wages of sin, which is death. Everyone's going to burn. But again, out of something bad, God does something good. We call it Good Friday. We're remembering Jesus on the cross. I mean, beaten so bad you couldn't even recognize him. Slowly dying, shedding his blood. Why? to wash away the sins of the world. Every bad thought, word, or deed we've ever done was washed away by the blood to whosoever believing in him. Out of something bad, God does something good. Can I get an amen? I want you to remember this when it goes down because maybe you're going through something bad right now. If you're not, it's going to happen sooner or later. It, they happen. But if you can remember, always remember, no Bible, no breakfast, to just keep your eyes on Jesus, to just keep remembering God. When it happens, you will not be afraid because you will remember God, and he will bring about something good. So you say, okay, Chapman, that's in the Bible. That's great. But what about here and now? What about today? Can you bring it home? Yeah. Yeah, I can. I think everybody here can think of times where something bad happened and God did something good. You know, I can remember way back when, when I got out of jail, I went back on the iron as an iron worker. And um, I'm running around on them beams, 50 stories in the air, slapping it together. And I really loved that job. That was a really, really fun job. Real exciting. I couldn't wait to wake up and go to work, but it wasn't meant to be. But I really, really loved that job. And I remember being up 50 stories. I think it was Dewey Square. And, um, you know, looking around at all the buildings I built and the people on the ground, especially at lunchtime. You ever seen a bunch of ants on the ground, how they all get together? You know, that's what the people look like when you have 50 stories up in the air. They look like ants, millions of them. And I remember 
you know, looking down at these people, and you know how the Bible says the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance everything Jesus taught? It's in John 14. And, uh, and he did. He, as I looked at all these people, I wondered how many are saved. And, and because this verse came to mind, he, that Jesus looked upon the multitudes with compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And, and I immediately thought, Lord, how many of these people are saved? And again, he brought to remembrance another passage from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, broad is the way and wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there be that enter therein. But straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. And so in my question, how many of these are saved, the answer was not many. Not many. And so I'm sitting there up uh, 50 stories thinking, boy, I know the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Jesus. Why is that? Well, only he can take away our sins. Sin is what keeps us out of heaven. We all got it. And only he can take it away. We can't get rid of our sin. We need to remember this because and if you walk out on the street today in the world and, and ask somebody, uh, you know, excuse me, sir, let me ask you a question. If you, if you was to die today, you know if you'd go to heaven or not? You know, most answers are going to be, well, I, you know, I think so. I hope so. I mean, I've done more good than bad, you know. That's what they think. It's not how much good you've done. It's the bad you've done. That's what keeps you separated from God. The wages of sin is death, which means separation. Our sin separates us from God. The only way we can get back to God is if someone takes away our sin. We can't take away our sin. But he can. Can I get an amen? And he did. Once and for all, for the sins of the world, the Lamb of God. And so as I thought about all these people on the ground, and I know the way, the truth, and the life, I said, Lord, somebody's got to tell them. And as I looked at all the other buildings, I built that skyscraper, that one, I built that one. I, I remember the back of the book, you know, where God says there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. You know, one day God's going to level this place. Can I get an amen? It's going to be a new heaven, new earth. So if I keep building buildings, that will mean I worked my whole life for nothing. So I said, Lord, I want to build the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom is forever. And like every mission conference, you know, the altar call is made and the people come forth and give their life to God and then go back to business as usual. So did I. Forgot all about it. Kept on working, building buildings. Well, it was not long after in the Heinz Auditorium that I was landing a big load of steel off the truck and uh, as it came down, my hand was on the load. And, and when these big columns and beams, you know, there's 15, 20 ton of them, uh, when they hit the ground or the pieces of wood underneath, you know, they either roll out or roll in. Well, on this occasion, it rolled in, and my thumb was on top. And I remember hearing this crunch, feeling this sharp pain, and I ripped my hand out, and I saw all this blood coming out of my glove, and I'm thinking, oh, boy. I think I just cut my thumb off. I can't feel nothing. And so I slowly slid the glove off, and it was on, 
but the bone had shattered like a rake, and it was, it was pretty bad. So they rushed me to the hospital, and uh, they were actually had it amputated and put it back on. And uh, I went to therapy for two years. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I went to therapy, squeezing these different colored clays. Pink clay was easy. Green clay was harder. Gray clay was bad. Blue clay was really hot. And I squeezed these with tears in my eyes because I got to get my strength back. I want to go back on the iron. I love that job. I'm just very good at it. And so I, they kept telling me, kid, you're not going back on the iron. You know, you better start thinking about new shots. I'm going back on the iron. You know, I've heard people say they never walk again, and they do. So I'm, I'm going back on the iron. Well, after two years, I realized I can't even pick up a cup of coffee without dropping it. So I realized I can't go back on the iron. And I'm all bummed out. And uh, I go back to the church. And, you know, while I was going to therapy, you know, during this time of uh, therapy for two years, when I was in that mass general doing squeezing the clay and stuff Monday, Wednesday, Friday, when I wasn't there, I was at the church every day. I mean, every day I'd go there, hang with the pastor, go to the nursing home, pray with people, lead people to Christ. Go to the hospital, pray with people, lead them to Christ. You know, mow the lawn, you know, paint some of the walls. You know, I just, I just always like being around the church. And so after I got the word that I'm all done on the iron, people asked, what are you going to do now, Dan? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. I said, but I think, I think I want to serve God. And one of the guys said, uh, you got education? I said, I finished high school. Pretty proud of that. None of my friends did. They said, no, no, no. Have you, have you been to college? I said, oh, no, I've been to no college. I said, well, if you're going to you know, be a minister, you're going to have to go to college. And uh, there's a scholarship for guys that have done time. You need to pray about that. So I prayed about it, and lo and behold, I get this scholarship. And I go off to Wheaton College and study Bible and theology. And that's when I got the call. The chaplain said, they built a new deal back here. I want you to come, about, come back and be the chaplain when you finish school. And would you pray about it? And I said, yeah. Again, all this to say, out of something bad, God did something good. Can I get an amen? This is all over the Bible. It's all over life. We just constantly got to remember God, which I know most of you do, if not all. But those you minister to, you need to remind them because for some people, God is not even in the picture. This is why people jump off bridges and stuff. Now, God, they're not thinking about God. And, yeah, bad things happen. But if they trust the Lord and seek the Lord, God is going to do something good. You know, I'm going to tell you another story. I don't think you know this about me. But before I was a Christian, I was uh, wild and crazy. And um, when I was 21, I... Uh, Met a girl, and we had a relationship, and um, I saw her for about a year. I was, in, I was in love with her. I wanted to marry this girl, but I couldn't hold her down. She was seeing other guys. And when I found out that she was seeing these other guys behind my back, I was crushed. I mean, I was boxing at the time, and uh, that was like the hottest blow I ever took. You know, I took a lot of blows, but nothing that hard. And, you know, I, after I, you know, got out of my pity party and everything else, I you know, I told her to take a hike, and we left. We, we separated. And what happened was a few weeks later, she called me up and said, guess what? 
And I said, what? She said, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, what? She said, I'm pregnant. Now, I have no idea if this is my daughter because, like I say, she was, she was very beautiful and she was seeing all these other guys. And I mean, not a couple, a lot. And so I basically told her to take a hike. I don't want nothing to do with you anymore. You know, I was still in my pity party crying and, and all crushed and uh, didn't have nothing to do with it. Well, she had the child. And I got these letters from the Department of Welfare saying, you need to come down here. So I go down there, and they said, are you the father of Melissa Lambert? And I said, uh, listen, I saw her mother. We had a relationship, but she was also seeing these other guys. I have no idea if this is my child. And they said, so you don't know if this is your child? I said, no. They said, all right, you can leave. So I left. A year later, here comes that paper again. I got to go back down there. Same guy. Are you the father of Melissa? I said, yeah, remember last year we went over this? Uh, you know, she's seen other guys. I, I really don't know if it's my child. They said, you don't know? I said, no, all right, you can leave. So I leave. Next year, here it comes again. Same guy. Are you the father? Dude, dude, what are you not getting? And every year they would do this to me, and I didn't know. So what happens? Well, several years later, I go to jail. And I read the Bible about a million times. I wore out Bibles in jail, and I could not put the thing down because I finally found truth. I found something that makes sense to life. And I remember reading this passage or this verse in 1 Timothy. It goes like this, verse 8, chapter 5. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And when I read that, I almost fell off my chair because I started thinking, what if? What if that girl is mine? And I could not stop thinking about it. So I finished my bid, I get out of jail, I get in a good church, and here comes the letter, and I go down there. And the guy says, are you the five? I say, okay, look, I don't want to hear that thing. Uh, I need to know something. I'm a Christian now. I need to know if this is my daughter. Is there any way we can do a test or anything, like a blood test or something? He said, yeah, we could do that. I said, all right, who's going to pay for it? I ain't got no money. He said, uh, we'll pay for it. I said, okay. Can we do that? Yeah, so we do. So I take a blood test, and then three months later, they call me into the office, and they have a picture of the daughter and the mother with a blood test. And they say, okay, look at pal. We are 99.999% sure you're the father. I said, all right, give me the paper. I send the paper. I'm the dad. They said, okay, look, we're going to start taking 25% of your gross salary. I said, okay, I don't have a problem with that. I said, and by the way, this is what you owe for the last eight years. 48000 and change. And I said, I ain't got no money. I said, look, it, I was in jail for a while, like a year and a half or so. Does that count for anything? He said, yeah. 38000 Oh, that's good. I said, all right, I don't have it. We're, you know, what do you want me to do? He said, we're going to intercept your income tax every year until it's paid off. I said, fine. I don't have a problem with that. And so every year, they would intercept my income tax and tell me, now you owe this much. And they did this for several years until 1999. I had been working at the jail for three years as a chaplain. And I get this letter saying they're going to start charging 18% interest. Now, I got this thing knocked down to 28000 And they tell me, send me this letter saying, if you don't pay it in full, we're going to start charging 18% interest. So each month, I didn't pay the whole 28000 I had to pay 440 interest, 220 penalty, 
basically $1,660 every month. And so within a matter of months, they, pew, this thing shot back up to $33,000. i am like, oh, man, i got to get this thing done. i got to pay this thing off. And so I'm, I'm trying to find a loan. At the time, the interest rates were really high. They were like 14%. And so Chuck Colson calls me, says he's writing a book. He wants to use my story in the book. And I said, yeah, that's fine. You know, he said, can you meet me for lunch in Boston? Sure, I'll meet you. So we meet him in a hotel. We have dinner together. And he asked me questions and tapes it so he can write his book. And so when we're done, he says, how can I help you? I said, I got a serious problem. I said, uh, you know, I work in a jail as a chaplain. I could become an inmate in that jail again as a deadbeat dad. You know, I got to pay this thing that I don't have, and I need to get a loan, and the interest rates are ridiculous. Do you know anybody that could loan me this money for like 5% or something? He said, yeah, I know a guy. Give this guy a call. So I call this guy. He tells me to call his bank a friend, which I do, and he said, I'll give you 10 and a quarter percent. So I called him back. I said, gee, he, all he could do is like 10 and a quarter. He said, let me talk to him. So he calls me back two minutes later. He said, yeah, he's tough. I got him down to nine and a half, but he ain't budging. He said, I'll tell you what. You got a pen? I said, yeah. He said, take down my address. So I write down the address. He said, why don't you come over to my house tonight, 7 o'clock. So I go over there. I've never seen this guy before in my life. And he said, uh, I said, hi, you heard? He says, yeah, uh, I'm Danny. He says, yeah, come on in, come on in. He said, listen, I, I decided I'm going to lend you the money, all right? Here's a check. He gave me a check, made out to me, money order, 33500 paid off. He said, you can pay me back 5%. I said, oh, wow, thank you so much. Thank you so much. So I, I go pay it off, and I start making payments every month. Whatever I had left over, 1000 800 1200 whatever I had left over paying my bills, I gave it to him. And I got it down to 22000 And then at the end of the year, that year, he said, you know what? You're the only one who pays back. I guess a lot of guys have stiffed this guy. So, and he liked me, so he said, we're done, we're good. Out of something bad, God did something good. Let me tell you what else happened in between. After I became the father and started paying child support, the mother, who was on drugs, left the children alone, and uh, she had another child from another person. She left them alone for like two, three days, and DSS moved in. And they were going to take the children, so they called me up. They said, I understand you're the father. Melissa said, yeah, what's going on? She said, uh, um, Kathy had left these children alone. We're going to take them, but I understand the daughter's yours. Do you want her? And I had just gotten married. My wife knew all about this situation. And I told her, I says, they want to know if we want Melissa. And she said, yeah, yeah, I've been praying for this. And so I said, yeah, we'll take her. So she comes in, and she goes from straight F's in the public school to a Christian school, straight A's. And uh, so not only did all this, out of this something bad, God did something good. All you got to do is trust and believe. And God always comes in. It's not just in the Bible. Out of something bad, God always does something good. There was another occasion that happened uh, shortly thereafter in 2002 or so. One, we were living in a low-income housing project, uh, working at the jail, and um, it was a bad area. A lot of fighting, swearing, drinking, you know. And I, I, that's how I grew up, and I didn't want my children growing up like that, so I said, we've got to get out of here, you know. So I'm saving my money to get a house, and I saved all of 10 grand. I was making 30000 a year, just began the ministry, and uh, I saved 10 grand. But uh, they were just out of reach of it to put down payment for a house. But we're looking, 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 looking. 
And finally, someone calls me up and said, hey, are you still looking for a house? I said, yeah. They said, there's a guy who wants to give a house away. I said, you really? She said, yeah. Come over to my house. So I go over to Norwell, and uh, there's this house, you know, like you see a picture of in the rooms and everything. And it was $399,000, $400,000 home. This is before the houses went up. Today it would have been a million. Uh, so it was only four, it was 400000 and, and I said, are you serious? She says, yeah, call this guy. He wants to give it away. So I called the guy up. I said, hey, I understand you want to give a house away. He says, yeah, you want it? I said, you're serious? He said, yeah. He said, but here's the deal. I'm just giving the house away. You've got to move it off the land. You see, this woman bought this area, a beautiful place in Norwell, beautiful, gorgeous, two-acre setting, and she wanted that house ripped down, wanted this guy to build a house. So he either pays 30000 to rip it down, or he gives it to me for a buck, and I move it. And I said, hey, I've seen this stuff. You've seen houses moved, right? I said, hey, you know, let me look at this. So I call up a house mover, bring him over, we look at it. He says, okay, we can take this down, but we're going to have to take it in pieces because these people don't want to cut their trees down, so we've got to get it in pieces. But we can do this, and you find a lot, we'll put it on there. So I find a lot in Kava, four acres, 65000 and to move the house would be 65000 So for 130, I can be in a $400,000 home. So he comes over with the contract. He says, I need 10000 down. Now, this is my whole life savings, all right? And I'm kind of wondering, is this guy for real, you know? Am I getting conned here? I was feeling uneasy about it. And Kim said, we've got to get out of here. We've got to get out of here. So I give him five. I'll give you five. He said, all right, I can start with that. So he starts with five. Meanwhile, the land in Kaaba that I was going to get fell through. Now I'm stuck with the house, no place to move it. I called the guy up and said, listen, I've got to get out of this. I don't have no land to put the house on. Uh, I need my money back. He said, I already spent it. He said, but I'll tell you what. Give me the house. I'll move it on one of my properties and sell it and give you money back. I said, okay, fine. That's fine with me. So he tells me a few weeks later that he was moving the house, taking the roof off, and then taking the second floor. Teeter-tottered, fell, crushed, everything busted up, and it was the crane operator's fault. He's going to take him to court. It'll be a couple of years, but I'll give you your money back. And my wife says, we need to get a lawyer. And I said, I don't know. I said, I think we need to trust the Lord. She said, no, we need to sue him. We need to get a lawyer. So I talked to some lawyers at the jail. They said, yeah, dear, we can get your money. Take a year or so, but after you, we get the money, you're going to give it to us for fee. I said, that's what I thought. So uh, I just go back to Kim. I says, we're trusting the Lord, period, in a conversation. So some Christian businessmen found out about this and uh, were really sad and said, you know what? We're going to set up a little bank account and call the Cross Family Fund and we're going to send letters out to your supporters and ask them to contribute to this so you can get a down payment for ours. And I said, wow, really? He said, yeah. So they did this, and three months later, we got $52,000. Out of something bad, God did something good. Can I get an amen? If you walk away today and remember anything... I said, will you just remember God and remember when something bad happens, do not forget God. In fact, I only want you to think about God. Don't even think about the problem because it will drag you down. Just remember God and who he is and you will see what he can do.
out of something bad, God always, always does something good. There is a lot more I can share with you. I don't want to keep you here for a week, but it's not just in the Bible. It's in your own life. I'm sure you can remember times, and that's the way it is. You've got to trust him. You know, I saw this little story that I thought was pretty good. Something bad happened. A group of workers way back when were cutting ice out of a frozen lake and storing it in an ice house when one of them realized he lost his watch. This is way back when, when you had to put ice in a storehouse. And, uh, it would, and so he lost his watch in the windowless building. So he and his friends went in to search for it, you know, crunch, 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 it's dark, they can't see, and they, they can't find it. So after they gave up, a young boy who had seen them exit went into the building. And soon, he emerged with the watch. Asked how he found it, he simply replied, well, I just, you know, went in, sat down, and kept quiet, and soon I could hear it ticking. You know, that's what we need to do. Sometimes we just need to be quiet and just listen to God. No Bible, no breakfast, no prayer, no power, and just watch God come through. You know, Billy Graham had a friend way back when during a depression who lost his job, a fortune, his wife, his home, He lost everything. But he tenaciously held on to his faith, the only thing he had left. And one day he stopped to watch some men working uh, on a big, huge stone church. And one of them was chiseling this triangular piece of stone. So he said, what are you going to do with that? And the workman said, well, you see that little opening up in the spiral there in the middle, that middle thing? He said, I'm shaping it down here so it'll fit in up there. And then tears filled the eyes of Billy Graham's friend as he walked away, for it seemed as though God had spoken to him through this workman to explain his ordeal through which he was passing. It was almost as if God was saying, I'm shaping you down here so you'll fit in up there. Again, I remind you, this life is over quick, real fast. The older you get, the faster it flies. Do not, I repeat, do not hold on too tightly to this life, because this one is not important, not as important as the one to come. Can I get an amen? And he's shaping us down here, so we'll fit in up there. So when something bad happens, remember, God is going to do something good. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for who you are, the great, almighty. There is no other. There is no one like you. No one comes close. Thank you for your son, your spirit, your word your mercy, your grace, your compassion. Thank you when some bad things happen to get our attention. You do something good. Help us to always remember that, Lord. 
to always keep our eyes on you and trust you to learn to seek you every morning, no Bible, no breakfast, and just remember you, that you will always come through. We love you and praise you and worship you this day and the days to follow. As we came to worship, we now depart to serve. Help us to have eyes to see as a good servant is observant and be ready to help in time of need. We ask this in accordance with your will. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.